Club members to this episode of Fat Girl Book Club. For this episode, we read the book Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Grant. This is another one of those books that is not considered a body acceptance book at all. (laughs) In fact, it would be, and my guest and I get into this, it would be classified maybe as a horror book or potentially a thriller, uh, but it's definitely fiction. And so I am bringing you another one of these books that is outside the realm of body acceptance, but we end up having a pretty good discussion around body acceptance. So I think that that's pretty cool. And I, I do feel like there's a lot of value in reading books that are outside of body acceptance to bring a body acceptance lens to them. I feel like we can get a lot out of a book when we do that. Before I tell you a little bit more about my guest and before I tell you a little bit more about uh, the book that we read, let me just, I really want to dig into my Facebook group right now. So I've got a, a few resources for you. I have a freebie that you can grab on my website, IWishIWereMe.com, and I have a Patreon page, which I would greatly appreciate you checking out. But what I want to talk a little bit longer about right now is my Facebook group. My Facebook group is a place where I'm trying to create a sense of community where we can talk about these body acceptance books, which ones we're reading, which ones we liked, which ones we didn't like, some of the topics and themes that are in them. We talk about body liberation. We talk about reading. Uh, There's lots of opportunity to jump in and have discussions and comment on things. It's also the official place for the podcast. So I put up a post every single time I release a new episode. That's kind of like the official post for us to discuss the episode. If you want to talk about some of the things that we talk about uh, when I'm talking to my guest. I also put up when I have a new interview, I will put up Uh, the book that we're going to be reading and a little bit about my guests so that you can comment or maybe even ask a question that I can ask during the interview. So it's, it's really a place where we can talk about all things body acceptance books. I also do giveaways. So I run a book club. Uh, We're kind of hit and miss with the book club depends on holidays. Uh, The summer was you know, lots of people were away and it just wasn't kind of falling into place. So we kind of let it go uh, for the summer. And over Christmas, we kind of let it go. So this month, we're actually reading Fatally Ever After. And that uh, that meeting will have just happened, actually, when this episode goes out. So we're picking a new book right now. So you have an opportunity to pick the books for the book club and then read them with us if you want to. And then join in on a Zoom conversation on the last weekend of the month to discuss and maybe meet some other people who are interested in these kinds of books. So so if you are interested, please make sure that you check out the link below. There'll be a link to all of those things I just mentioned. Uh, before I kind of run into a little bit more about the book and my guests, let me just give a shout out to my Patreon supporters. Thank you very much to Pascal, to Amy, and to Ace. I really couldn't be doing this without you. And if you're interested in getting a shout out every single episode, make sure you check out the Patreon page for the details on that. So the book we read was called Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Grant. And I'm going to read a description for you from Amazon. Seven years ago, the Atagartas set off on a voyage to the Mariana Trench to film a mockumentary bringing to life ancient sea creatures of legend. 
it was lost at sea with all hands. Some have called it a hoax, others have called it a tragedy. Now a new crew has been assembled, but this time they're not out to entertain. Some seek to validate their life's work. Some seek the greatest hunt of all. Some seek the truth. But for the ambitious young scientist Victoria Stewart, this is a voyage to uncover the fate of the sister she lost. Whatever the truth may be, it will be found only below the waves. But the secrets of the deep come with a price. Dun dun dun. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about my guest. This is a uh, second time guest here on the show. You may remember her from my episode about um, what we don't talk about when we talk about fat by Aubrey Gordon. Destiny is a 30 year old fat, asexual, progressive Catholic woman. She only recently started identifying as a fat liberation activist. She co-facilitates a peer-to-peer support group called Body Liberation Baltimore. She loves horror movies, listening to podcasts, and reading. A couple of things I should let you know before I let you loose on this interview. First, there are some spoilers. So if you think you might read this book just from listening to that description, then probably a good idea not to listen to this interview until after you've read it. Second, uh, after I turned off the recording, Destiny remembered a few other things that she could have mentioned at the end. Normally when I ask my guests about uh, what's another book that they would recommend to a friend, she said that, you know, there was a couple of other things that she kind of forgot to mention. So one that she wished she had mentioned was a series called Every Heart a Doorway. And it has uh, an ace character and they are fat. So she kind of wished she would have mentioned that one when she was on the show. She also said that if you really like discussions around horror books, there is a whole podcast devoted to that. It's called uh, the Darkly Lit Podcast. So I'm going to make sure that there are links to those as well as everything else that Destiny mentions in the podcast in the show notes below. So check it out. With that, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Destiny Damati. Hi, Destiny. Welcome back to Fat Girl Book Club. Hey, how's it going? It's going. It's going. Uh, we have just been talking off mic and there was a whole bunch of things that you were talking about that you're doing, uh, that I really wanted to get on the recording. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, so just for the listener's sake, you have been on before you and I talked about Aubrey Gordon's, uh, what we don't talk about when we talk about fat, it is my most listened to episode. Uh, so I am thrilled to have you back here and we're talking about a completely different kind of book today. Uh, but let's start with kind of an update on where you have been since the last time you were on the show. Well, there's been a lot that's changed. I'm still volunteering, working on my peer recovery specialist certification, and I have a potential job in the pipeline, but it's only part time. I started up my own podcast called Destiny's Universe, which is all the intersections cool. of hobbies, interests, passions, and identity that make up my life and might intersect with some of yours as well. And then I um, transformed with the help of a friend of mine named Emma, bought Positive Bodies Baltimore into Body Liberation Baltimore. And we just used the Facebook group and expanded it out into two connected in-person meetups as well. Plus you can get resources on Facebook in the group as well. So, that so that's cool. the change. That um, is so cool. 
Yeah. So uh, I will get from you uh, at the end, we can talk more about it, but I will definitely get from you uh, information so that if people are interested in the groups that you're talking about, you said they're in-person groups, but there is resources on Facebook. Yes. And the announcements are usually posted in the Facebook group, which is Positive Bodies Baltimore. Actually, it's not, not, not completely in person. I kind of misspoke a little bit. It's on Zoom as of the moment. Mm, We're still trying cool. to figure out perfect seating arrangements, if not perfect, at least really good seating arrangements and with the COVID numbers, but we are going to do in-person events as well. And the Zoom groups are always posted on in the Positive Bodies Baltimore Facebook group. So that's where both Emma and I have corralled interested people into, you know, so that way they can keep informed and we're posting it all in one place. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast before I move on, because you were saying it's all the intersections of things you like. So can you list off some of the things that you talk about in your podcast? So the things I've talked about so far, we had um, an episode on fat liberation and mental health. I had a small little episode out about horror, which was mainly an interview with my nephew. It was just a <laughs> spare the moment little thing. It's cute. We, we um, Coming down the pipeline is going to be a fat liberation and horror episode. Topics I'm going to have down the line might include asexuality, codependency, my faith, which is, I come from a Catholic Christian upbringing, mm-hmm. but like that, those things on the, on their own, sure, but I want to connect them together. So it might bring together all different types of topics, like such as codependency and how it affects your body journey, you know, things like that, like being asexual and Christian, like just mm-hmm. different things that to get like on their own are aspects of identity as they are, but yeah. brought together will have some interesting topics. I eventually want to have an LGBT blind group, you know, or like some people from that come on and talk about their experiences since I'm partially blind and I'm part of the LGBT community as a whole. Right. Um, you know, or I might do it blind and asexuality. I'm still trying to think through all these things you know, and I'm still trying to find people as well, but that's my goal. And is some of these talks might be on my own and some of them might be with other people. And there might also be times where it's more fun and then some talks will be more serious. So that's kind of what to expect from me. Right. I love it. I love it. I Podcasting is uh, such a joy for me. It's really uh, changed my own life and it's changed how I interact with the world. So I always get excited when people start a new podcast and yours sounds really interesting. I mean, bringing all of that together, it just, it sounds like it's, it's things that need to be talked about. And I love that you're bringing it out there. So I think that that's really, really cool. So congratulations on starting that up and getting that going. And I just think that's super cool. So I'll definitely have a link to that in the show notes below. Uh, you talked a little bit, you said in your podcast about horror, and I'm guessing that's why you picked this book. So we, we're reading a book called Into the Drowning Deep. Can you talk a little bit about where you found out about it and why do you decided it might be a good fit for us to talk about? So I heard some people mainly online. I was 
scouring the web looking for a horror novel with good fat representation. So Dr. Jillian Toth is a fat character. And I didn't like, I like some people said it wasn't horror. Some people said it was, it's kind of like a genre bending type thing. Okay. So I was like, okay. And I have other disabled characters as well. I think I saw it in a um, group reads list. Either that or I, um, I know I probably also might have saw it in a Facebook group as well, but I'm not completely sure. When I go down rabbit holes, like I can search things multiple times and never find the same resource twice because I can ask groups, you know, I, I have the whole internet at my disposal. So it's kind of hard to know where things come from sometimes. <laughs> and so at the end of the day this was the one that we went with and I'm curious to know like overall what your thoughts were about this book I liked it I didn't really find it scary Mm -hmm. but the like and even the concept of mermaids like because this is a like it seems on the surface to be about mermaids Mm -hmm. but like it just wasn't really like up my alley at first but as I got invested into the characters I really started to like them mm-hmm. <laughs> and it kept me reading on actually for this podcast episode this is my second reread and oh, wow. <laughs> well not my second reread my second read yeah. I mean yeah but well, like I wanted to review it so I had it in my memory and that's impressive for the listeners who have never heard of this book it's like a 400 and some odd page book like 450 page book so the fact that you read it twice that is very impressive (laughs) (laughs) that's a time investment man that's a time investment and then it's like nothing surprised me but like like remembering the moments where like I didn't cry in this book I cried more in this other book I read after but like I almost cried <laughs> at the point when um like at a few points mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when so yeah it's a it's a good book it, it didn't have me in tears but it almost yeah. did and I'm kind of glad it didn't have me in tears yeah. Yeah. so you don't usually like things that like me cry make me cry right. but I also kind of like it at the same time even if I don't like it in some ways I don't like the feeling it leaves me if I'm really invested in something that makes me cry but <laughs> this one it kind of almost bridged there but not quite and I still really enjoyed it I enjoyed it I was nervous about reading this book I am going to admit I don't read a lot of horror books I don't re- watch a lot of horror movies and I and I'm I get scared really easily like it's definitely so I was like oh I don't know if I'm gonna want to read this book but I I did find myself being really absorbed into this world and being uh, kind of wrapped up in it. And I was pleasantly surprised at the complexity of the characters and the, uh, like you, you said before, you had heard about this because there is some characters in here that don't fit like a stereotype. And I, and I like that. I like that a lot. So I, I, um, I actually did enjoy myself reading this book. Uh, but it, it definitely, it, it was definitely like, okay, I'm reading this book about killer mermaids. Like it was kind of like, <laughs> what? Killer yeah, mermaids. Yeah, I know. Okay. It's like ridiculous. It sounds a little ridiculous when you say it out loud. So it's sort of like, okay, but it's, it worked. It worked. It totally worked. So 
I guess what we should start with though, is like a basic, basic plot line uh, for anybody listening to this, because they, they may not pick this book up. So what's kind of the basic plot line of this book? After the, um, after disappearances from a ship called the Itargatis, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, but I can't forget. Um, It was people on that ship were sent out because they were filming a mockumentary about mermaids. There were scientists on board who just kind of saw it as a pleasure cruise. There was a reporter, but it wasn't very many people. But after that disappearance, footage was leaked of mermaids clambering the ship and killing people. Some people thought it was a hoax, but the people who were were close to the people who were never found realized that like knew it wasn't it was too flawed to be a hoax in some people's opinions some people just knew it was the whole thing was weird so the some of those people are brought back many of them as because they are scientists were brought back to go out on voyage once and for all prove the existence of mermaids and so you follow each person kind of has an equal part to the story and you follow what brought them there and you really get invested with the the new crew the new ship that's setting sail the melusine yeah i wasn't sure on the names either i was like how do you say that and you're pronouncing them exactly how i said them in my head so that sounds right to me (laughs) (laughs) well that's probably because of my screen reader and audible but it's still like Mm, yes 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 Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, it's good to know that what was in my head is what is kind of there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now you were saying that there was a bit of a controversy as to whether or not this book was considered horror or not. So why, why the controversy? Why were they thinking it maybe wasn't? So I didn't see the main genres listed as horror, but then I mm. saw like reviews mentioning it was horror and it does kind of fit under like kind of overlapping strands of horror but it also could be considered sci-fi because of how heavily science featured into it yeah so I mean I might have this wrong but like I don't remember exactly why people didn't consider it horror but it kind of doesn't fully feel horror but it kind of does in a way so what I feel from it from reading it is it kind of overlaps without taking over completely any of the tropes of horror books or movies there's horror movies set at sea i'm sure there's books that have like sirens and other characters come um at sea or other but i haven't read many of them there's the the subgenre of cryptids this kind of gets into the tropes of horror which is like undiscovered creatures you know a lot of the focuses on bigfoots and stuff like that there's there's ghost stories which this one doesn't fall too much into at all I don't think but then there's like so really there's kind of like a lot of a lot of featuring highly of science Mm -hmm. and then there's the cryptids and then there's the sea which has its own like you know it's its own tropes around it whether it's being stuck in the sea drowning you know or a monster coming and getting you out of the sea Mm. so it kind of plays into all of that Mm. But it doesn't fully, it doesn't feel like too tried, like too trite. Like I've seen horror movies where you see these big monsters and like, I don't know, like 
it doesn't play into like things as deeply and it, it still has a little bit of a little bit of wonder as you're going through things mm. and discovering things as the characters are right. and it doesn't feel too like too old it takes no no horror like i've heard the concept that nothing is fully original that might be the case but it doesn't feel old or like too tropey mm. Mm. well and you've read a fair amount of horror <laughs> yeah but you know at least that's my opinion everybody right. has different opinions i like to do a lot with like supernatural horror mm-hmm. that's my favorite and there was only there was only two books that well three books that really i heard qualified as horror mm-hmm. one of them was too sexual for me i couldn't get through it i was mm-hmm. like crazy and then there was there was a, a zombie outbreak at a fat camp was one of the books i read and i'm like i want to find one that doesn't feature fatness in that way mm-hmm. so that's why when I settled on into the drowning deep, I was like, okay, yeah. I could do this one. Yeah. When I think of horror for me, because I don't really know that much about it. I just think blood and guts. Like that's, that's, that's what comes to my head is like, okay, there's lots of killing. And, <laughs> and I know that that's not really, that's not correct. Right. Like how, what do you think are some of the, in your experience with the books that you've read, what are some of the stereotypes and major plot lines and things that make horror horror? So there's like maybe like two or three types of horror in general. This could um, and they can overlap a lot. So there's the shock horror, a jump scare. You know, like you're watching a movie and something loud goes boo. You know, you know there's blood and guts, which is kind of or sometimes body horror, which sometimes it gets you fearing for the can- um for the characters. It might be somewhat existential. You might be invested in, but a lot of times you're not. It's just seeing guts fly, and then. But that's kind of like campy horror movie. If a good horror book does it right, the blood and gore will take second place to you on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen to your favorite character. You know? And then there's like, there's the slower sneaking horror. It might be the fear that you're losing control of your body in case of like possession stories or fear that you're going insane or that people are not seeing that you aren't going insane that what's happening is actually happening fear of people turning against you fear of death fear of rejection fear of being alone those are the subtler scares that are more the existential things that are hidden you know and then there's the other phobias like fear of spiders and stuff like that but good like a good horror story or movie will play into the existential fears using whether it's the blood or the gut and guts or whether it's a a more noticeable phobia as like a cover for the existential fear which is placed in by the danger but also by the um by the by you getting to know the characters you know of whatever story or movie you're into or by the things not necessarily seen and maybe the character doesn't wind up dying but there's other fear like the idea that there's states worse than death comes into that kind of fear and i know i'm saying pretty broadly and you know not really getting too much into plot points but that's just kind of the basic overrun of 
What a good story. There's so many different subgenres that I wouldn't even know where to begin describing pertinent plot points of horror. There's the monster, there's the killer, there's the ghost, you know, things like that. So, you know, usually you'll either see a serial killer movie or a movie about demons or ghosts, or you'll see movies about creatures, whether it's a mummy or a cryptid from the ocean's deep, you know, or just a regular old shark. Some people contend that movies like Jaws are horror, and it kind of is because you you don't see the shark coming until it's right on top of the person or until the very end. Does that make sense? I think so. What I'm hearing you say over and over is that it really plays on people's fears in all aspects of their lives. So whether that's like an uh, uh, very conscious, very aware of fear, but it can also be a really subconscious, very deep fear. Uh, you went into it in a lot more detail and, and saying a lot more things than I just did, but that is what I'm really pulling out of what you're saying is that this is really about as humans, what we're scared of. And also fear can be an easy escape too. think about like, like a roller coaster, you're riding it and it feels scary, but you know, you're safe. Mm. So it's a way to unpack whatever fears whether you want to get deep with it or you're just in the ride of seeing people getting killed, what, whether it's a deep be- fear being conjured up or not, you're getting that adrenaline rush from it. Or sometimes just that way to escape your day-to-day grind. Right. I, I guess for me, when I think of reading as an escape or even watching a movie as an escape, I think, and this is conditioning, I'm sure that this is conditioning, but I think uh, rom-com or comedy or uh, a drama where you're, you know, you have to figure out a mystery. For some folks, horror movies act the same way for them, I'm guessing, as a rom-com does for me. Yep. (laughs) And for different reasons. Like rom-com for you, it's like, oh, it's funny and it's sweet. It's talking about something that I want, romance. You know, a drama, you're solving a mystery. Horror can be just as formulaic or it can just be as all-encompassing. Horror has elements of drama or romance or sometimes even comedy. So that's kind of how I view it. Well, I can see the appeal. Uh, I just, like I said, this book, I was very scared to start this book, but I'm glad I picked it up because uh, like you were, like you had mentioned when you kind of wrote to me about this book was that there were some characters in here with some marginalized identities. And I, I was, I was excited to see how the author would treat these characters. And, and it was uh, the one you had mentioned when we were first corresponding was that there were blind characters. So there are a set of twins, Heather and Haley. They're deaf, not blind. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. (laughs) Deaf, not blind. Um, and uh, like, what what did you think about the authors? Uh, like how she handled them in the book, how they were used as plot points, uh, you know, how their marginalized identities were handled. What did you think about that when reading this book? So I, I can only say from my, my thoughts and my experience, but I thought it was handled very compassionately. You could see the character's anger when, like, there was a moment where she was 
stalked me and pulled along by these people who can completely hear and she you know she usually doesn't have the urge wishing she could hear but in that moment she's like i wish they could damn sign or yeah i forget how she said it but like there was one moment like that and then there was one moment she said like was thinking man i do wish i could hear just for this moment just so i know what i'm up against you know so you could see the the back and forth in between each sister's minds at first it was the twins against the world yeah and then when the other twin died there was that loneliness and she even at first shut her sister out without even realizing like that they actually wanted each other you know the older sister and the remaining twin mm-hmm. you know and you could even hear how the older sister was very protective and talked about like the asl and then the standard english sign language and how many different there's in sign language and how like she was frustrated that you know that able-bodied people were putting extra rules on them in order to get into academics so you could see you could see all the different parts interplaying between each other in a really interesting way yeah i yeah i totally i was same like i was i got schooled i i definitely got schooled uh (laughs) in and and there wasn't like a it wasn't like because I had underlined anywhere in the book and I I anywhere in the book where uh Heather or Haley were kind of the focal point and so I went back through those underlines and it wasn't like they had a huge I mean like I said this is like a 450 page book so you know it's a big book but they didn't seem to have a huge huge amount of the time but the time that they were in there the author, Mira, Mira Grant, uh, she really seemed yeah. to use the time wisely to explain to people some of the, uh, some of the challenges that come with signing in a world where people are, can all hear. And I loved the way uh, Haley was like, she would keep saying, you know, these people are assholes, like, cause they didn't learn, to, they didn't even learn the basics of sign even though they were working with her. And I was like, yeah, that's like, that must be so frustrating. And I just, I don't know. I just loved the way the author used the time wisely to really give us insight into what was going on for these two characters, even though uh, she didn't use a ton of the book to do it. Yes, I love it as well. And I'm so glad that you feel the same way, you know, from, from an outside perspective looking in, I don't have that identity, so I can't speak for people who are deaf, but I can definitely see the different aspects to it. And, it, you know, I had compassion as it is, but it took it outside of like an outside perspective, not really understanding and be like, I don't know if I could handle that to an actual yes. perspective where you felt like you, you were with them. Right, right. And while killer mermaids may not be... Uh... <laughs> Well, let's hope that that's not something that's going to happen in reality, but there probably are situations where a person who uh, cannot uh, hear would get scared. Like, like, like you were talking about before with horror, horror is about fear. And, and um, like you said, uh, you know, you're kind of it's a safe kind of fear because you're in a book or you're watching a movie, but it's exploring these fears. And I can imagine for someone 
who cannot hear, if you're in a situation where if you were able to hear, it could have alleviated uh, a danger that was coming up on you. And I think that it really um, highlighted that fear in, like I say, a very short amount of time. So I, I, I really, I enjoyed reading about this and I would like to read more. I guess at the end of the day, I was like, I would really like to maybe try to find um, an autobiography written by someone who, you know, has this marginalization and is able to kind of give me more insight because I, I felt like, oh my gosh, I don't know enough about this uh, to be able to feel like I can offer the most amount of compassion, empathy, and uh, practicalities that I can. So, so it was good. Yeah. You know, that was really, really a good way to do it. Uh, there were other people with other marginalized identities in this book. Uh, the ones I thought of were Olivia, who has, um, who has, no, that's not right. Uh, Olivia, who's living with autism. Um, yeah. Tori talks about how she's bisexual. And like you were saying before, Dr. Toth as fat. So what did you think of those identities and how they were handled in the book? And did I miss any? I don't think you missed any. Oh, um, the the husband, uh, Julia's husband, who had like a physical, oh, right. yeah, 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 you're disability. Right. Yep, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She really, she really did bring in a lot of characters that were pretty complex. Yeah, she sure did. I'm gonna end with Julian because, like, she's the character, like that I want to use to kind of dig into something I've just thought about mm -hmm. from this last week. So I'll start with Tori. I feel like they were all handled pretty well, but I'll get more into it. Tori, I really liked how, how like, it, it didn't, like, it wasn't a major focal point. Her bisexuality was, like, it wasn't an afterthought, but it was, like, wasn't a focal point either. It was in there. You could have seen the signs but you really didn't see much of it until the end. She was like, you could see in that moment, she was so afraid that Olivia would like, you know, like not have zero interest when she knew she was interested in both. Mm. But, you know, once they realized, okay, it's not that Olivia doesn't want me, it's that she's trying to figure out the words to say, like they worked together with each other to work through their differences and their, communication barriers and it really worked out well same with Elizabeth's autism I feel like it was handled pretty well at no time did she ever come off as being not empathetic and that was really important because that's a lot of things I've been seeing didn't know much about autism besides I did have some people who I grew up with going to school with that were autistic but like like I've I learned more about some of the stereotypes in in that autistic people deal with is that they're not seen as empathetic. They are, but their social skills, like they take, um, for some people, they take things literally. So they have, it takes them a long time to learn other people's social cues. I read an article about this recently. It's not that like, and once they do learn, things do change sometimes. So they always try to take the best intention, but it's, well, some people do anyway. It's interesting to, like see how well Olivia was handled really well. I feel like everyone was handled pretty well. I do have more things to go with Julian, but I'll get to her in a minute. 
her husband with a physical disability, you could see, like, these characters were all very complex. Even him, who, few could have been set up to be made into a complete villain. And although he did some villainous things, like, he was never portrayed in that way. And it, and it wasn't because of his disability either. You just saw all aspects of him. Complexity. You know, it was really... What do you think? I thought what I really liked about both Olivia and Tori was that we were like three quarters of the way through the book before they even put a label on what it was. Uh, like, we knew that there was something about Olivia because she had to come to the boat early and she was really relying on Ray. And we could see that she was feeling challenged in the situation that she was in, but we didn't, she didn't put a label on it. She didn't say, okay, this is, you know, I, I struggle with autism. She didn't say that. So the reader didn't know. They just thought it was who she was. And that I think is the way that it should be treated. Like I I liked that because I was like, that means that I have less pre-assumptions about what this person, what is happening for this person as they're moving throughout the book. Right. Same thing with Tori. Like she talked about her boyfriend And then she gets on the boat and she talks about these feelings that she's having for Olivia. And as a reader, I'm going, oh, okay. You know, it it wasn't even like in my head, I was like, oh, well, that means she's bisexual. Like, it wasn't like that. It was sort of like, it wasn't till, you know, significantly later when they kind of put these labels on themselves. Uh, And I I liked that a lot because it really made me feel like I understood the character before I put them into a box, so to speak. Uh, so I really, I really liked that about it. And I, it really helped me too, because I don't know, I know some things about autism, but I definitely don't know a lot about autism. So being able to get into her head before getting that kind of pre-assumptive thing going on, uh, that was really helpful. You know, it, it allowed me to, as a reader, explore her head before putting a lens. Uh, yeah. The, uh, what was his name? Blackwell? Was that his name? Yeah, uh, Theo. He, I think I struggled with him a little. I don't think that this, I don't think Mira Grant did as quite as good a job on the men characters as she did on the women characters. I felt most of the men characters were pretty static and one dimensional. Uh, he was not, I agree with you, he was not, but I didn't feel like I understood him. And maybe that was the point. Like maybe her whole point was that he was meant to be the most, Uh, him and Dr. Toth were meant to be the most nuanced characters in the book. And we were supposed to see their good and their bad sides. And we were supposed to both empathize and hate them at the same time. Um, So I I didn't feel like, uh, and I mean, really, when I, when I think about it, it's funny because I didn't add him to this list because I didn't even really think about the fact, like you said, that he was struggling. Uh, So it's interesting to me that it wasn't until you said it that I went, oh yeah, he did struggle. He did have where he had to take medicine because uh, his leg would kind of start to limp on him and and he struggled with uh, body coordination. So it's just kind of interesting for me on that front. So I don't know. What do you think about all of that? And then I guess we'll get into Dr. Toth because she was interesting. Yeah, I didn't, I do agree. I didn't fully relate to the men as much. It was all distant for each of them, but I do realize like they were both nuanced, but I I always seem to like be more interested in Julian than mm, I was I in agree. him. <laughs> I agree. 
So yeah, I do kind of see that. Like he's just, if he fades to the background, if you don't think about it much. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the women really do show steal the show. They really do. They really, really do. T- hilarious. And actually even, um, when I was thinking about, as I was rereading last night, Mishi, uh, they, so they, most of the people we've been talking about are all scientists on the boat, except for Olivia, who is a reporter. Uh, and I, uh, Blackwell, he is like the person for the company. Uh, but they hired two people, uh, Jacques and Mishi to come on and like, they're big game hunters and they actually just are trying to kill the mermaids when they show up. Uh, I even liked Mishi. I even thought Mishi was more of a, she had more depth to her than Jacques. Like even when we're looking at pairs of people, I think this author really favored uh, adding depth and dimension to women as opposed to men. Yeah. That is kind of interesting. (laughs) Think about like, I didn't even think about it until you mentioned it. So that's pretty cool. So what did we think? What did you think of Dr. Toth? I mean, she gets labeled as fat in the book. Uh, uh, she talks about how people who respect her see her one way and people who don't just see her as fat and too loud and taking up too much space. So how do you think she was portrayed in this book? Like, what, what did you think about her fat representation that we got here? She did seem pretty, pretty cool. Like, like they didn't mention her fatness besides that one time. You know what I mean? Yes. But of, other than that, like I did notice some little like things that on second read it took it, it finally hit me. So she you don't see her like other people, you see them running or you see them like really doing more active stuff. You don't see her doing that necessarily. And it could mm-hmm. be read as like, okay, she's like, but you don't see her necessarily as lazy either. You do see her like she helped out with the aut- autopsy. She, you know, made it to where they needed to be. She, they needed her to be. But you also could see like that there people did see her like as like too loud and like kind of as laughing stock and different things like that. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I've been thinking about that and how. It was said multiple times through the book that Imagine just hired people based on looks for the most mm-hmm. part, except for the scientists who were hired because of their knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that was a kind of interesting thing to think about. And even like Olivia, she was the one who sit through the tubes to get the shutters down. Like, and I don't know. I, I kind of have some feelings thinking about these things. And I'm yes. kind of curious what you thought about the whole thing. I think that's an interesting, that's a really interesting point to take her and as a counterpoint, Olivia, who you were talking about, could fit through the tubes because she was so little. Yeah. And even um, Heather and Haley's sister, Holly. Yeah. Was that her name? Yeah. She talks about how she's hot. Like, there's this whole conversation between her and Olivia in the uh, right at the beginning of the journey. They both meet up in like the hot tub and Holly talks about how she's super tall and she's thin and she's gorgeous. And she changed her hair color because it was red and she stood out too much. And she's like a translator. So when you kind of like counterpoint Dr. Toth to these, to these women who are 
because the majority of the women on there do talk about how they're thin. Yeah. She's the only one that gets mentioned in terms of her body uh, size, I guess. It, it is kind of an interesting counterpoint to say, okay, well, we have one fat character when we know that the vast majority of people are plus size. And so you've got this boat full of people and there's one fat character and we have to point it out and we have to talk about it, even though it's very little, but we do have to talk about it. Uh, And she's also older. Like she's older than the majority of these people on this boat. Uh, You know, and I, I'm always kind of uh, tuned in with ageism because I'm getting older. Yeah. (laughs) I understand. I get you. So it's sort of like, yeah, she was treated differently, uh, whether that was respect or not. Uh, there was a lot of them when we kind of jumped into their head, uh, when the author jumped into their head and let us see, they didn't like her. They felt she was, you know, too much and too abrasive and she knew her stuff and that's why they listened to her, but they really didn't like her. Um, and I thought that was interesting. I thought that that was an interesting way to handle the character. Uh, because I think when we're out in the world as living in fat bodies uh, and we get told we're too much, we do sometimes put up walls. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what Do- Dr. Toth was doing, was putting up walls because she's considered too much. Uh, but she's damn good at what she does, you know? So yeah. it's... it's it's hard. It's very, it's a complicated thing. And what in, at the end of the day, what was the author trying to say by making this author fat, old and abrasive? Mm -hmm. But you know what? That fat, old, abrasive woman survived. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And she was, yeah. And she was considered important on like, even when me, she was dying. It was like, they had to have her come in and help out. Like she was respected, but not liked. Yeah. There would have been nice. And maybe this is just my idealism and sentimentality. Part of me is like, it would have been nice if at least one character liked her, you know, you know, but yeah, you know, just thinking about the loneliness of that. Yeah. Her theories have been proven true. Yeah. She's going to be important, but like you think about like if you think about the after effects like if these characters were real like think about their like their journeys after traumatized julian would be proven right but well do you think she was liked at all at by the end actually that was one thing i was going to ask you is what did you think of the end of this book because i hated the ending i was like you've left us hanging like we have no, like we know that the boat is about to arrive back into the dock. Uh, you know, we know we've, that they've, and, and this is total spoiler alerts, guys. Like you've been hearing spoiler alerts through this whole thing, but like the boat arrives back. The people who've survived are on it. Uh, Tori and Olivia end up together. They have a mermaid on board. Like we know that that's kind of how everything ends, but we don't really know how everything ends. Like, like how are Haley and Holly doing without their sister? And what is happening with Blackwell and uh, Dr. Toth? Because their romance almost kind of rekindled. And now that she's proven what she said she was going to prove, are they going to like hook up together? Or is it is it too late? Like we don't, we, we know nothing. We know nothing at the end. Yes. And it's so hard. 
Like, I have read stories like that, and it fucks the shit out of me. And those are the kind of stories I come back to once in a blue moon in my head. Like, oh. Or I'll make up stories in my head about what happened to them. Because that's right. what I do. But, like, it kind of sucks at the same time. Because I'm, like, thinking about it. A few things can be inferred. They're traumatized. But bonds have been created. So, like, <sighs> you can definitely assume that... um Olivia and Tori will be together. You don't know what's going to happen, like, you know, from there, like, how's their family going to take the results of everything? You don't know how long it's going to last, but you hope that it's it's their long time. Right. It's not forever. I, I can see there being a little bit of friction between Heather and Holly because they had been separated because the older sister was out doing her things. And at one point, I remember the the one being shown Heather's head. It, she's like, I, you know, like upset with her sister not being here. You know, so you kind of think, OK, my, well, but is there going to be resentment? So you can kind of pick little pieces out of it, but it's not a full picture. And I think that's. What some good stories do is they don't always wrap it up in little bows as much as we would like it to be. Right. Well, and, and I wondered what was going to happen to the mermaid. Yeah, me too. Because at the end, you kind of start to like it because like it was communicating and it saved Daniel. Yeah. And yeah. Holly. Yeah. No, it did. It, it did. It was like, this is just, yeah. Like what happens? Like, I, I mean, I think, I think because we get to the end and the um, head guy at Imagine Studios, who's the one who's funded this entire thing, uh, he talks about how it's incoming, like that the mermaid's incoming, like our, our golden ticket is coming in. So, I mean, you assume that he's going to be making a whole whack load of more documentary-ish kind of things about this mermaid and about this um voyage that they did and all the rest of it but yeah it was like there was a lot of assumptions made at the end of the book and I kind of wish I kind of wish you know 450 pages that she would have wrapped it up a little better (laughs) yeah well I feel like that's like you know part of the there's things I've learned uh, about with writing even though I don't do much writing, um, mm-hmm. one is it can either be left up to the imagination or it could have been a conscientious part of like, okay, maybe people will be invested in enough for a sequel. So it could have Ooh. been either of those things. I like that. I hope there is one. I might even read it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things that came up for me as I was reading this, though, was the the way that... So there was discussion around how Imagine as a big like production studio, as a big TV production studio had kind of manipulated certain things in order to like for Tori, she needed access to certain things and they would get 
the companies that had those things to reduce their rates for her. And she didn't even know that that was happening, but they were like manipulating things behind the scenes in order to make research happen for certain scientists. And then they came along with all their money and all the things that they have to offer. And they offered all these scientists an opportunity to be on this boat. And they were really, really creating news, which would go out to the mass population. So they're creating um, the information that gets out there around mermaids and this finding. This reminded me of diet culture so much and the way that these big industries are able to manipulate what people see think and feel about dieting and about what body should look like and that kind of thing. What, what did you think about Imagine's role in research and scientific research? Oh, that is, because if you think about it, Imagine could represent like, like, um, big, like diet industries or pharmaceutical companies that make weight loss drugs. And they're putting these fundings out hey, we'll give you more funding if you research, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and get the findings we want. So it's like, yes. yeah, it kind of does feel like that. I thought it was, I know that obviously Mira Grant wasn't thinking about that when she wrote it, but it, it did make me think about, about the way these kinds of things do happen because many people have talked about, like Lindo Bacon's really big on talking about, the fact that if if somebody wants to research Hayes stuff, their options for getting funding are actually slim to none because that's not what the 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 companies that are giving money to research want as their final result. So uh, it's just kind of interesting the way Imagine was able to manipulate the findings that were got. And now they're going to be able to manipulate the narrative that gets out to the rest of the population so that everybody's going to think about mermaids in whatever way they want them to think about mermaids, which could be different than even what we're getting in the book. Yeah. And I think I think about this and I wonder if Mira Grant is in anywhere in any way aware. Like she carried um carried a fat person pretty well in her story. Like Part of me wonders if Mira Grant does have some knowledge about this stuff because <laughs> it does feel like once she made it like like brought it to my attention, I'm like, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think is the, uh, when I asked this question, when I put this question into our discussion questions, I was like, I'm not even sure what my answer is, but my question was, what do you think is the overarching message in this book? I mean, besides, you know, don't go looking for killer mermaids. <laughs> yeah. What do you think is the, uh, the overarching message and theme in this book? Have compassion for your fellow humans. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. You don't know what's going on in their minds and what they're struggling with. And there are so many different marginalized identities that, you know, but but they're still people, complex human beings who deserve respect. And it's also um kind of brought up in what is considered human. Like that that was an overarching theme that I noticed this this go through. Cause you you heard them talking about the sirens or what you at first think is mermaids. Are they considered people, you know, because they're intelligent? What makes a person a person? But we are people, and whether you're disabled, black, another ethnicity, fat, whatever your identity, 
part of the LGBT community, whatever your identity or multiple of them, you are still human and you and people should be treated with respect. I love that. I love that. You're right. Even if you're not liked, because Julian <laughs> might not have been liked, but she was respected. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think with Julian, she was respected only because uh, she was, she, this is going to sound bad, but she proved her worth. You know, you're, she's on this boat looking for mermaids. She knows where they are. She knows a lot more about them than the other people on the boat. She is able to keep her head uh, on straight in a, um, whatchamacallit, in a crisis. And she's a biologist, so she can do the autopsies and she can help out with medical stuff. Would she have gotten that respect if she was just, I don't know, another scientist working on uh, the water, the makeup of the water, the organic makeup of the water, would she have gotten the same respect? I don't know. I don't know. Me neither. But and, and that's another thing to think about. But I think that's what sometimes horror does is it leaves that question. It leaves some dangling threads because that's what makes you think and fear. You know, would she have really been considered human? Would they have, or they would have, they would have used her in some way? Would have they respected right. her? You know, but you think about all those things. Yes. Well, and and because my marginalized identity is fatness, I think about it more maybe than someone who has thin privilege who's reading the book, right? So, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's the same thing with Heather and Haley. As much <laughs> as I, I as much as I feel like we were schooled on. ASL and, you know, the, some of the challenges that come with not being able to hear when I left this book, I left their world. Whereas Dr. Toth stuck with me because she's a marginalized identity that I identify with. So yeah, there's some of that too. Yeah. And, and, and also in some ways, uh, Tori and Livia stuck with me too. Mm. And that's because I'm, I'm, I'm like, I would say I'm like pan romantic, so not sexually, but romantically attracted to any gender. And also that's part of the LGBT community. And also like, I don't think I'm autistic, but I like, do you think I have like little things that make me quirky or a little bit neurodivergent? So like, I think about Hmm, those things. Right, right. So those characters stick with you. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. So you have a friend who who read it, really likes it. Um, what would you recommend that they read next? Hmm. Well, if you want to go some more horror, I got to find out the author's name, but there's a book that came out somewhat recently called Imaginary Friend, but that didn't really, doesn't have any marginalized characters, but you really do like love the characters. And I like read more fat activist stuff. If you haven't already, if you came about this because oh you recognize the title then like look more into fat activist books such as what we don't talk about when we talk about fat by Aubrey Gordon or Landwell by Jess Baker and Body Respect by Linda Bacon. Yeah. Yeah. Good recommendations. Awesome. Although I probably won't read another horror book unless she puts another one out. I might read I, I might read the follow-up to this one to see what happens if she ever wrote one. <laughs> oh, and I forgot one horror book. If you want to, yeah. if anyone else like me is ace, 
that might be listening, do read Soul Kill Girls. That one I would have loved for you to read even more, but I don't. It didn't really have a fat character, so I was trying to back then stick with the theme of Fat Girl Book Club. Mm, oh, well, thank you for that. Okay, so where can listeners find you? And uh, if there's anything you want to promote, this is this is the perfect opportunity. So definitely look in Destiny's Universe is on Spotify. That's the okay. podcast I listen. Um, I've created. Definitely, if you're in the Baltimore area or in Maryland in general, and you want some help with dealing with anti-fat bias or body acceptance or any of that, please join the Body Liberation Baltimore Facebook group. You can find me on any social media as Destiny Damani. I might not be completely active, but that's that's me. And uh, I do post things sometimes. And I think that's about it. Very, very oh, cool. Oh, and if you, any of you are in the Maryland area and LGBT and need a place to help, you know, for safety and support, check out Hearts and Ears. There we go. There's a shout out for them too. Nice. Them. I will make sure that there are links to everything in the show notes. So if you're listening and you're interested, just scroll down and click. It'll all be there. Uh, Destiny, I want to thank you so much for being on Fat Girl Book Club again. I really appreciate you coming on for a second time. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. This has been so much fun. I really hope that you enjoyed that discussion. It's something different, right? I mean, just this discussion of looking at a book that you're reading that's a fictional book and throwing this body liberation lens onto it, seeing whether or not there is even any marginalized characters within a fictional book. That is a good place to start. And if they do have them, how is the author discussing their marginalization? How is the author putting you in the head of the person with the marginalized identity? And what is their kind of overall perception? What do they want people to walk away with about that character? And then maybe seeing if there's any overall messages surrounding media or surrounding something else in the book that you can overlay on top of what's going on for diet culture and dieting or eating disorders. It's an interesting way to look at a book and I hope you enjoyed that. So basically I don't really have any quick notes for you. You've kind of heard the plot line of the book. So there's your quick notes. Uh, And in terms of who should read this is anyone who likes a good horror novel, anybody who likes a good psychological thriller. This one was actually pretty good and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, Here's your reminder to check out the book club Facebook group. Uh, If you get an opportunity, I would also really appreciate it if you took took a look at my Patreon page. And with that, keep reading everyone. 